Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of God. Most of the questions we're grappling with demonstrate that human beings very much need wisdom. So wisdom involves learning and thinking and reflection and information. So we engage our brains. But wisdom is not just about ideology or concepts. Uh, wisdom is about an understanding that shapes your decisions, your actions, your character, your virtue. Uh, wisdom is a broader um, category, but it's what we need because we're not prepared for every specific issue in life. And so what we need to do is to have a, a deeper understanding of how things work so when we face the unknown or the new or the complex, we're able to handle it and respond to it. So I don't know what your specific questions are. Some people have questions that they're asking the whole of life without really resolving some uh, grapple with a question for a period, whether it's several years or just in the moment of a decision, but on the topic of happiness, for example. What would make us happy? Or why am I not happy? Or um, how can I find happiness? Or questions about what is wrong with the world? Why does so much... Why are there so many problems and so much suffering? How can we fix the world? How can my life have an impact? Or questions about decisions. Do I go, uh, do I apply to law school? Or do I marry this person? Or do I move back uh, to where I grew up? Or do I leave a high paying career for which my parents are proud to pursue uh, an endeavor to trying to be a stunt person? Whatever question that you're grappling with where you would need wisdom, um, you can't just uh, Google in one moment to find uh, a simple answer to complex life issues. Now, verse 15 of the passage we're looking at today, referring to the sacred writings, the Bible, it says they are able to make you wise. And that is, you see throughout the Bible in the book of Proverbs, and there, there's a wisdom section, but you see elsewhere, uh, whether it's at the end of Deuteronomy or the beginning of the Psalms, that there are these paths set before us, paths of life and flourishing and knowledge and understanding and goodness and also paths of foolishness and devastation and destruction. And the Bible says you are invited to learn from God, to enter that good path, a wise path, and the Bible is going to be key in that. So 
In May and in June, we're in a short sermon series looking at the five core practices at Emmanuel, what we call FWPSM, F-W-P-S-M, Fellowship, the Word, Prayer, Sacraments, and Mission. And each week, uh, we're going to look at these practices, and today we're looking at the W, which is the Word. Sometimes people by memory think of it as worship, but worship we understand to be the Word, Sacraments, and Prayer. I'll talk about that in the prayer sermon, but the Today we're talking about the Word uh, and why the Word, the Bible, is so important. And um, last week we looked at Acts 2, the passage that I just read to the members. They devoted themselves, the first thing it says is, to the apostles' teaching. So the apostles were teaching from the Bible how Jesus had fulfilled all things and and why we should believe in him. Um, The early church was devoted to that. The church since then has been devoted to the apostles' teaching, the the, the Christ-centered um, interpretation and understanding and application of the Bible. So today, what I want to talk about, as we talk about the Word, uh, is uh, three things. The life-giving Word, the life-shaping Word, and the life-penetrating Word. Life-giving, life-shaping, life-penetrating. So I want to begin with the life-giving Word. So the Bible itself, when you open it up, Genesis 1 and 2, we instantly meet God. And actually, there's a lot going on. There's a lot that you learn, a lot about God. But fundamentally, we meet God. uh, One of the aspects of his uniqueness is that he is the one who makes, gives, and sustains life. That's, That's clearly essential as the Bible begins. It's unique to God. He gives life. And in those opening chapters, there's at least two things that I think are relevant for our topic today. One is that this God speaks, and his speaking is part of that life-giving. If you, if you think of an, an, uh, uh, an idea, an unformed or theoretical idea that you have, that as you speak it, the idea takes shape and is communicated, um, the Bible begins with God saying, let there be light. And there was, and it was good. God speaks. And in God's speaking, he makes, and God's speaking gives life. So the word is very important right there from the very beginning. We have a speaking God, a God who reveals. Um, But if you go to the second chapter in the creation of humanity, there's Adam and Eve being formed. So Adam, whose name means man or mankind or humanity, uh, formed from the dust. It says God breathes into him so that Adam becomes a living being. So, So the difference between... Adam just being carbon-based, you know, physical presence to being living being has to do with the breath of God, God breathing life into him. And and the word is is proceeding from God, um, aspirated. uh, And so these concepts are there. So then Jesus, who is the teacher in the Christian church, the one who wants us to understand scripture and uh, life as he comes to be the one who reveals God, In Matthew 4, when he was tested in the wilderness for 40 days, the first temptation from the adversary who comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. And Jesus' response was, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus, as our teacher, as our guide, This was foundational to his understanding of the Father, of the role of the Word. Um, And even a contrast there, as as the physical body needs food, so the the spiritual reality, the soul, 
needs to hear from God, needs God's word. And Jesus creating a priority there, he would rather lack physical food than to lack the word of God. And so this is very important for Christians who follow Jesus. So in the passage before us in verse 16, about the Bible, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God. So the, the breathing out, the speaking forth, the, the, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, the view is that scripture comes to us from God. And some translations say that all scripture is inspired, and, and that's a good translation as long as you understand that um, the claim is not that every verse is inspiring. And so if you're looking for uplifting and motivating, there's a lot of the Bible that will not help you. But this claim is that, not the, that those passages are not inspiring. The claim is that those passages are inspired, meaning even all of the difficult ones are given to us somehow from the mouth of God uh, through the human beings who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these things, but so that we have what we call the very word of God. Uh, and therefore, the message is very important Verse 15 refers to them as the sacred writings. And sacred just uh, alludes to this book not being like other books. This is a book that comes to us from God and therefore has a certain purpose and certain perfections and a certain power, which then means we handle it somewhat differently than an instruction manual or even the great works of literature. These are sacred writings. And um, understanding that helps us to recognize we don't treat this book just like any other book. It's not a coffee table book, but it's a book that uh, we should handle with a certain reverence, come with a certain expectation. Uh, years ago, we used to have, uh, a couple of times a year, a silent film night here on Sunday evenings where we would have somebody who was playing live organ accompanying these films from the 1920s and 30s. And so the person who ran the, the, the projector and owned a lot of these films was showing Charlie Chaplin films one Saturday in Lincoln Center. And so I went with my family, and after the movie, he had some memorabilia. He had a hat and a cane that belonged to Charlie Chaplin. And he invited us forward. So my kids, after watching these films by this very famous, uh, you know, acting film figure, were holding his actual hat, his actual cane. Now, so first of all, you want to be very careful with these because they're nearly 100 years old. So they might be, they're delicate. They have a certain value to them. And so they're not ordinary objects. Look, if you go into a store and try on a hat, you can put it on your head, you can drop it, you could accidentally kick it, you put it back on the rack, somebody might buy it. Charlie Chaplin's hat seems like it has gone through a lot if you've watched his films, uh, but I did not want my kids being the ones who dropped and stepped on his hat. Uh, so you, you treat it carefully just because of its value, but, but there's something in the experience of watching these films and then taking, taking an actual hat that he wore that connects, there's an actual connection to him. Now look, it's just in theory, it's just a hat, it's an object, but, but it's a hat that he wore. There's something that feels a bit different for some of us taking that, taking that cane that you see in the photos and holding it. And, and that expectation, that understanding, if, if I was just handed the hat, it would mean nothing, but when I'm told this hat was a hat Charlie Chaplin wore, then I experience it differently. So if we just give you the book, the Bible, and say, look, uh, here's another book that has great things in it. You could gain some insights and some wisdom. We handle it one way. But if all of Scripture is breathed out by God, then we handle it differently. We, we take hold of it with a different understanding. 
Uh, and that understanding is actually quite important. It says all of scripture. So it's not just the motivational verses or the verses that you like, but the whole of it has a purpose, is given to us. And therefore, when we read it, yes, we, we take the skills that we've learned in the school to analyze and to understand and uh, to critically evaluate. It's not that we um, abandon uh, intellectual tools, um, but we understand that we're coming to this text as a different text and we're under the teaching. So rather than, as we, as we may otherwise be trained, how do I understand this? What do I think of it? Do I like it? We come and say, if, if, if this is filled with wisdom, that means there are things in here that I can't possibly yet understand. And therefore, with humility, I won't quickly reject what I don't like, but I will grapple with it. If this is sacred, if God is intentional to instruct and to speak, then I will, I will come to it with a different attitude. And so I want to just encourage that attitude in, in your Bible reading, that when you prayerfully read, when you humbly read, when you're listening, when you're wrestling, the Bible does different things than if you just say, do I want to join this religion or do I not? What do I think of this book compared to other books? Um, your experience will be very different if you understand its origin. So it's a life-giving word. That's the claim because it comes from God, that it doesn't just give you ideas but it actually comes from the one who gave you life in order to, uh, to give you new life. So it's a life-giving word. Secondly, the Bible is a life-shaping word. Now, there's a clear emphasis in this passage on teaching, on thinking, on understanding. And so the Christian life is meant to be a thinking, reasoning life. We don't uh, check our brains at the door. But it's not simply an academic life. It's not, it's not that there are facts in here to uncover. Um, but the teaching, Paul who writes this also says in Romans 12, that we should be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So our minds being made new to understand, to see things differently because Jesus is our teacher, because his spirit now opens our eyes, uh, is meant to transform us. And you see that in this passage. So in verse 10 to 11, writing to Timothy, Paul says, you, however, have followed my teaching, so there it is, the first order, I don't know how intentionally he wasn't saying that, but you followed my teaching, the teaching is important. My conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings. Um, in, in this discipleship of Paul as the older mentor, what Paul understood, what Paul learned was very important. He's passing on a body of knowledge, but he's passing it on as a person who's being shaped and changed by it. And he says to Timothy, so you know my teaching, but you also know my love, you know my conduct, you know my aim in life. There's been a, a renewal of all things that then is embodied. And so in verses 14 to 15, he encourages him, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. So there again, there's, an under, there's a cognitive aspect of it, but this is important, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Who did he learn it from? Well, Paul himself, you learn this from me. I'm the one that's saying, remember my teachings, remember my conduct, my aim in life. But now from his childhood, you go back to first, the, the beginning of 1 Timothy, and you have Lois, uh, the grandmother, and Eunice, his mother. Um, so we know from the book of Acts, Timothy's mother was Jewish, but his father was not. And so Timothy would remember not simply that his mother and grandmother taught him the Bible, but I would assume that he remembers the character and the care of his mother and grandmother and that there's the teaching, but their love and their aim in life, 
that that was also an important part of this discipleship. So Simon Chan, a Bible scholar, uh, speaking more narrowly about discernment, but in this topic of wisdom, he says discernment is knowing God's will in particular situations. That's what wisdom is. Uh, And knowing God's will is not just a matter of grasping a piece of information. It has to do with our whole attitude toward God and ourselves, with an ongoing relationship with God and loving him. Discernment, therefore, is more than just the scientific application of principles to particular situations. And so Christians need to study. We need to analyze. We need to understand. But that's not the end of the work. We don't just take those principles and apply them, but we need to work them into our character, our view, our goals, our priorities, how we spend our time, how we relate to others, how we interpret the world and what happens to us. And that, then the scriptures become our guide, the voice of God to walk us through and shape us. And so from this passage, uh, it's as though Paul could point to four distinct um, people that he would say, look at the teaching, but also look how the teaching is shaped. And the first, of course, would be Jesus. So if you read from the Gospels, the teaching ministry of Jesus, you should find that he has insights, that there are He has understanding, and there's a lot you may not like or a lot that doesn't make sense, but if you stay with him as a teacher, you'll find there's a a coherence. And so the teaching of Jesus is very compelling and important. But what's also compelling is to look at the character and the fact that Jesus didn't say one thing and do another, but he actually embodied these things. So, So Paul is teaching Timothy about a person and can say, listen to his teaching, but also look at his aim and his conduct and his love. And that's part of Christian discipleship. So then that's first, look at Jesus. But then Paul, as this fatherly figure, says, look at my teaching, but also look at my life. And that's important. And then he could say, look at your mother and your grandmother, how they taught you, but how they also loved you. But finally, he could say to Timothy, and look at the work of God's word in your life, (laughs) that you, acquainted with the sacred writings, the scripture, who understand that it's true, but have seen the provision of God as you've faithfully done what he has told you, that he is a good God and that his ways are right. And so just as you're maturing, as you're growing, as you're not yet, the last verse talks about scripture makes us complete, as you're being trained and sanctified, um, look at God's work in your own life. And uh, so, so Timothy has a context that not all of us have, but he has a number of places to look at the teaching but the teaching that's embodied, and as a church, we need to be doing that, pointing each other to the scriptures, but also living it and demonstrating uh, that it works, and so, and by it works. Uh, I'm saying that simplistically. It's not if you do every, every verse in the Bible that your life will go perfectly. Paul says in verse 11, look at my persecutions. Sometimes you can do the right thing, and it, and it attracts suffering. Um, but in verse 13, he talks about those who are evil, those whose intentions, intentions are not good. He says they go from bad to worse. Uh, Christianity is, is not about how we go from, from being amazing to being even better. We go from bad to better. That's the model. We all lack wisdom. We all make mistakes. We're self-destructive. We harm others. Wisdom says you can go from bad to better. Uh, look at the teaching. Look at the ways. Uh, Without wisdom, you will go from bad to worse. You'll make a mess of things. And so in that regard, the scripture has a lot that's encouraging, that's helpful, that's inspiring. But scripture is useful here. It's profitable in verse 16 for teaching, but also for reproof, for correction. 
and for training in righteousness. So maybe teaching and training in righteousness excites you, but reproof and correction, it means that when you read the Bible, first of all, you won't understand everything because again, if the Bible is meant to give you wisdom, there's a depth that you do not yet have. So we should understand as we read it, we will say, I disagree with this, I don't like it, it doesn't make sense. And the question is, if God is good, and if this is from God, and God is wise, then if we do the work to grapple with it, we will gain wisdom, we will learn of his ways. And so um, one aspect of it is simply to have the patience. But another aspect is to recognize if the Bible is true, truth, sometimes the confrontation with truth, is corrective and therefore it provokes our pride or our laziness or other aspects, which means studying the Bible will occasionally, some of the things that we disagree with also offend us. <laughs> and if we're being trained for righteousness and if God is good and we can trust him, then this sacred book, if it's provoking us in some way, is actually making us better, not making us worse, which is what makes this different. I mean, there is a self-protective aspect that all of us develop understandably because in the world, a lot of people correct us because they're trying to dominate us. They're trying to uh, use us for their own good. And therefore, we have these safety mechanisms in our minds to, to not let people boss us around. That's right. But it also means that sometimes we're unable to hear when somebody loves and corrects us that they're doing good for us. Um, there's a book by Trevor Noah, Born a Crime. It's his kind of autobiography memoir. And uh, I had read it some years ago, and so uh, remembering my impressions, he, he introduces his mother as a very fervent Christian and kind of a strict mother. And at the opening, he, he, because he's kind of a funny guy, the way he was characterizing him, I really assumed that I was entering into a book that was going to parody and make fun of religion and talk about um, what a problematic a woman his mother was. And then by the end of the book, you see this deep respect he has for her. Um, and there's one story in it that I, I remember that stood out where, where he had an interaction with her about why she was so strict. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that her parenting, I'm not trying to present her as a, as a parenting model uh, or anything like that, but, but the insight that he got that changed things. So he was arrested and he spent a couple of days in jail and one of the key things on his mind was, how am I gonna tell my mother? And I don't remember how old he was, I think he was a late teenager. How am I gonna tell my mother what happened? And so he spent a lot of his free time concocting these fantastic stories about these adventures he had for the last few days, which explains why his mother did not see him or hear from him. So if he had one phone call, he grew up in South Africa, I'm not sure uh, how things were, but he did not call his mother. <laughs> So he came uh, home expecting to make it look like he's had these uh, three days of adventures and he sits down with her and he's coming up with these stories and he says he can see in the look in her eye that she wasn't believing any of it. But he said the look was different. The look normally is this eyebrow raised of how dumb do you think I am. Uh, but he said in this case, his mother looked at him with something like um, disappointment. So it became clear that she knew that he was arrested the whole time as he's telling the story. And then she says, how do you think you got out? Who do you think bailed you out? Where did the money come from? <laughs> that was me who paid for it. Uh, who hired an attorney? Uh, that was me. And, and in essence, she communicated to him, all this time you think that I'm really strict and you resent it, but because I love you, I'm kind of hard on you because the world does not love you and the world will be hard on you. So if I treat you strictly, 
I do it in love, which is different than the police who are treating you strictly. So it's two different things. And he had this insight there that his mother really cared for him. It changed his perspective on his background, his upbringing, his mother's character. And there's all of us, we're going to read the Bible, and yet there are things that, I, you know, I don't even know what this is saying, or this is strange, but there will always be things where you say, I don't know that I like this. <laughs> Could God ask this of me? Is this ethically right? <clears throat> and sometimes, in your study, you realize you misunderstood, actually. You were right to think that was a problem, and you misunderstood the teaching of the Bible. But in that grappling, sometimes you realize, if God is good, I'm just going to trust him, and the testimony of those who have done that, who gain wisdom, look back and say, yeah, I thought the Lord, his ways were a bit hard. <laughs> the things Jesus asked of me, how could he ask me to do those things? And then I did them. And what I learned is that God is protecting me. God cares for me. And God is treating me different than the world, who also has ideas for how I should live and seems to want to control me. It's a different thing if God is good and if the scriptures come to us from God. And so um, when challenges come... Depending on God often means uh, looking for guidance. What are the commandments? What is God teaching? How is God correcting or instructing or motivating me? Um, If it's a life-giving word, it's also a life-shaping word. So understand that sometimes growth is through difficult seasons, and so sometimes uh, the word will be hard to handle. But in the perseverance of doing it, the promise is if Jesus is your teacher, if you're being led by the Spirit, You are being shaped. So here's the third thing. So it's not just a life-giving word or a life-shaping word, but it's a life-penetrating word, which means that the scripture comes from God, but it's meant to go deep into your life. That's the only way you're going to be shaped, not by being obedient to the teachings, but by having that word planted deep within you uh, and bringing about renewal. And so verse 12 talks about a godly life in Christ Jesus. So it's not a godly life, Uh, where you have learned something that Jesus has said. But the word invites us to join him, um, that our hard hearts would be penetrated by his spirit, that through our unity with Christ, he would be our teacher, our guide, our protector. And so our lives would be shaped because of God coming deep into our life. So in verse 16, when it says the scriptures can make you wise, it's not just um, the kind of information you need to have a successful life. But it says that all scripture is breathed out by God and able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And it's that faith in Christ that actually, uh, when he becomes the teacher, the disciple, or the one who embodies the word, the, the pattern we follow, but also the one who penetrates the deepest need, because our deepest need is not information. It's our corrupted hearts misunderstand and we're foolish. The wisdom we need is a spiritual renewal. And so there's a godly life in Christ that comes because his word is an invitation, come to me. (laughs) And then as we do that, uh, his life in us transforms us. And so um, if you read the Gospels, you'll find that often Jesus is arguing about interpretation of saying you're misunderstanding the world. But with the religious leaders, you're, you're misunderstanding the scripture because you don't understand God and his work of salvation that's fulfilled in me, and therefore that missing key piece is leading you to misunderstand and misapply. So in John 5, in verses 36 to 40, Jesus says to that particular group, he says, the works that the Father 
has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So here it is that, that God's power at work in him is a sign that he has the Father's approval. He's sent by God. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. So you could read in his baptism, the voice of God to that audience, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. But to this particular crowd, he says, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So Jesus is saying, I saw the father, I heard his word, I was at his right hand, you have not, and yet you don't believe me. And here, here's the, the point. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And, and that's what Jesus is saying, is he's saying the word from the beginning is now the word made flesh. That's John's gospel. The life-giving, creating God who spoke in the beginning, now his message comes to fullness in this person who continues to teach and continues to reveal, but shows the might and the power and the grace by who he is, but also what he does, which is God's purpose was always to give life, and, and God gives us life by sending Jesus to give his own for us. <clears throat> That's the scriptural message. Can we trust this God? What is his message? His message is, look, I would protect you, I would guide you, and you're not listening. And because of that, you're bringing harm and ruin and death to yourselves. But my purpose from the beginning was to bring you life, and so I'm sending Jesus to invite you into this life, to return so that with me you will gain understanding. And so he gives his life so that in him we would have life. And so that becomes the key to understanding the whole of Scripture. How is Scripture showing us our need, our folly, the goodness of God, the corruption of humanity, um, why we need to turn, why we need instruction? All of these things are part of the story that leads us to the impossible situation where humanity would say, apart from Christ, we could do nothing. And then Jesus is sent, but through Christ, you can do all things. And so he will come in now to speak the final and fullest word of God, an invitation, believe in me, and you will have life. And that life begins the path of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Now we revere God. We don't fear him from a distance, so we stay away, but we draw near with a reverence to say, Lord, teach me, Lord, correct me, Lord, guide me, shape my life. And that's why there are metaphors like the agricultural ones in Jesus' teachings, where he talks about the word being like a seed. And that look, if it sits on the surface, it's not gonna do anything. It's not here just simply for, for laboratory analysis. Um, and there are things you can do, you can till the soil and you can water, but you actually can't make the life happen. That, that's what God does. And so the seed needs to penetrate. And there are things you can do, because if you're not doing them, it's not going to create a hospitable environment, but, but really there's nothing you can do to make that life happen. That, that as an analogy is to say this, look, you could try to get your life together and it will be worth doing, so you have greater effectiveness and satisfaction. But this work of giving life is only done by God, who gives it to you freely by grace. And understanding that grace, then when you say, now I will till the soil, now I will water, I will listen to God and adopt these practices, then his life is working in us. So we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching as a church. We believe that the study of the Bible, not on its own, as if it's just something that we could academically pull apart, but the combination of the word and his, the spirit that gave it and the spirit at work in us, 
means that we will have this life-giving message uh, bring us to life and shape us. So I want to end with a few practical things. Uh, and actually, I said a few. I'm going to give you four. Um, the first is, is we should be devoting time to reading the Bible, and so we do that as a church every Sunday. We spend a lot of time um, talking about what the Bible says. In our home groups during the week, we study the Bible together, but you should, on your own, be engaging it. And so the first um, suggestion, uh, typically we read the Bible, but there are all these audio resources, both are valuable. Some of you sitting down and reading, it just it's not the best way to engage your mind and you haven't tried listening to it. So try listening to it. <laughs> uh, and even if reading is the primary way that you engage and that's how you get the most of it, uh, that balance, sometimes you know, there are all sorts of resources where you could hear ordinary people or famous actors with background music or in different um, accents and languages. Um, there's lots of resources, but, but let, the, let God speak into your life. And so read and study it, but, but if you've never tried listening to it, maybe that would help you engage in a new way. Uh, second, just some practical things here. It really is the combination of the word, the spirit, and the new community, which is that the Bible on its own, it's not just that you open it and it automatically does something, but the spirit that gives it needs to be at work in the spirit of those who are receiving it, the spirits of those who are receiving it. And so it's that prayerful reading. So in your own devotional life, Lord, speak to me, show me, teach me. Um, but in our community life, where the correction and the rebuking, if, if you're only reading it on your own, you're subject to affirming your own understandings. Whereas somebody else that says, actually, I think you misunderstood that, or actually, uh, here's an area where maybe you should think differently. A community that is prayerfully seeking God is a community that's going to encourage us to grow in the knowledge of the word. Um, here's a third thing. Um, do the hard and patient work. So something that I've been saying is, if the Bible is able to make us wise, it must have within it understanding of complexities that we do not yet ourselves have. Which means that there's, there's things in it that you just won't grasp, won't understand, but if you keep giving yourself to it over the course of your life, you'll gain those building blocks, so eventually there are new insights, new wisdom. And so the example of Jesus' parables, you know, Jesus told these figurative stories and then the crowds left and the disciples were confused. What on earth were you talking about? And one of the things Jesus says is, I speak sometimes in parables because people are seeing but they're not perceiving. They're hearing but they're not understanding. Some people are coming for entertainment. There's a phenomenon. Have you heard about this guy, Jesus? Go and hear what he has to say. Oh, I went and heard. Now what's for lunch? Jesus seems to be saying, if that's the thing, then, then the word is not really taking root in their lives. But as you've heard me teach, and you found yourself saying, I have no idea what he's saying, or I don't like what, what you're saying. Remember, he's teaching on forgiveness. Teacher, <laughs> what does this mean? How, how much do we have to do this? The disciples go back, and they say, Jesus, we don't understand it. We don't like it. Explain us to us more. That's the work of a lifelong of Bible study. Just keep going back, asking God to show you, asking questions within the community, reaching out to me, one of the elders. And here's the fourth thing. There's the daily, and there's the long game. Um, <clears throat> the relevance issue. There are sometimes you're going through something and then you pray and you open up the Bible and God speaks exactly into your life. So if your question is, do I go to Penn or do I go to Dartmouth? I'd be careful to find a verse that helps you uh, explicitly. You know, if there's something about the northeasterly regions, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, from, from a New York perspective, that Dartmouth is uh, more advantageous to Penn. 
But your question about what kind of decision do I make, how do I make in life, there's sometimes you'll open the Bible and there's something in there that, um, that just, you say, I, I think the Lord is showing me something. I prayed and now there's something here where you read it and that day you just realize God is instructing you. So we should have that expectation that God speaks into our life in the present, in the word. But there are long stretches of reading lists of names and odd things, and you think, I don't know what this is supposed to do, but if it's able to make you wise, God might be preparing you for a hard decision you may have to make in five years. So keep studying, understanding, gain the mind of Christ, taking these building blocks, and today, if you don't have anything that tells you what to do, just take it in and keep working on it, because over time, we're, we're growing, we're being shaped, that when it counts, you will find that, that God's word has prepared you. And so don't neglect God's word. It is given to us from the mouth of God to give us life, to feed, to shape us. There are more interesting and exciting things for the way most of us are wired, but there aren't more important things. Let's devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we do depend on you to feed and to nourish, to speak into our lives, to instruct us, to show us grace and to sustain us. We are grateful for the scriptures that announce to us the good news of Jesus Christ, then invite us to understand his ways and life in him. Uh, Lord, by your spirit, grant us that life that our eyes would be open, our ears would be open, and that our minds would be made new so that we would understand and see things rightly. Help us to understand your word, but Lord, from your word, help us to understand you and ourselves and our world and what we should do. So make us wise. We desperately need it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.